Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. This episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Michael Sherwood, Chief Innovation Officer of the City of Las Vegas. Michael has more than 20 years of experience in the fields of process improvement, technology, and innovation. He is extremely passionate about technology and believes that more sustainable communities can be built through innovation, workforce development, and collaboration. In this episode, Michael explains how the city of Las Vegas is helping the community to be more efficient by providing new opportunities through innovation. The city is using technology to improve public safety, healthcare, transportation, education, and economic development. Michael discusses that by increasing connectivity and access for all communities, setting up innovation centers, and improving the city's technological infrastructure, Las Vegas will continue to be a leader of municipalities as a destination, not just for entertainment, but also for business and progress. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with Edge Solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting Dell.com for more information or click on the link in the show notes. Two years ago, when I started the Over the Edge podcast, it was all about edge computing. That's all anybody could talk about. But since then, I've realized the edge is part of a much larger revolution. That's why I'm pretty proud to be one of the founding leaders of a nonprofit organization called the Open Grid Alliance, or OGA. The OGA is all about incorporating the best of edge technologies across the entire spectrum of connectivity, from the centralized data center to the end-user devices. The Open Grid will span the globe, and it will improve performance and economics of new services like private 5G and smart retail. If you want to be part of the Open Grid movement, I suggest you start at opengridalliance.org, where you can download the original Original Open Grid Manifesto and learn about the organization's recent projects and activities, including the launch of its first innovation zone in Las Vegas, Nevada. And now, please enjoy this interview between Matt Trefiro and Michael Sherwood, Chief Innovation Officer of the City of Las Vegas. Hey, Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. It's a great day. It's always a good day in Las Vegas, though. So you're you're talking to me from your office? I'm in my office in downtown Las Vegas. Yeah, which is a, it looks like it's like a cool, it's in the 80s, high 80s, but it's in the 80s today, so it is a nice day in Las Vegas. It is a beautiful day. It's always a beautiful day. Yeah, there's summer times, it's beautiful indoors. It looks like you've spent quite a bit of time in Southern California. Did you grow up there? I did. I was born and raised in Irvine, California, and spent majority of my entire life in California, in Southern California mainly. So it's a transition to come out here. I've been out here for a while, but I enjoy it. And, you know, I don't miss California too much. I do like to go back, but... What brought you to Las Vegas from California? Uh, the job I have today was exciting. I worked for a smaller city and the opportunity to, to work in Las Vegas was intriguing to me and exciting. So it was something that when an opportunity came up, I was, let's do it. I've never been outside of California. Let's try something new. Yeah, that's great. When you say a smaller city compared to Las Vegas, how big is the city of Las Vegas? 650,000 population. So it's, it's quite it's sizable. a 26th largest city in the US. So it's, it's pretty sizable. Now, a lot of people probably don't understand that the city of Las Vegas, it's part of the, the Clark County, but it's not the strip. Can you help us understand how sure. the city of Las Vegas relates to the overall Las Vegas geography? Yeah, it's it's something even I had I did not know when I came out here originally. I thought when I was working for the city, I had every, like everything. So no, we're all part of incorporated Clark County. 
So most of you know the Las Vegas Strip, the Lexor, the Wynn. Those large properties are on the Strip, which is part of Clark County. The city starts over by the Stratosphere, Strip Strip. The Stratosphere is where Las the city proper starts, city of Las Vegas. And it runs all the way down to the Fremont Street and those areas. And then up out to Summerland or Red Rock. A lot of people know about Red Rock area. And so it's it's part of, it's within the county. But the county is the larger section of Southern Nevada. You also have other cities that make up the Southern Nevada region as well. Henderson as well as the city of North Las Vegas. But it is a misnomer that this, you, when you are at the Lexor or at MGM, that you are in Las Vegas. You are in Las Vegas. You're just in the county portion, not the true city portion. Yeah, and I spent years going to CES, and I basically would fly into McCarran, which is also in, in the county, okay. and you would spend your time on the trip. And so I didn't set, set foot in in the city of Las Vegas until probably three years ago. And you mentioned the Fremont District. Is that the area that was sort of created around the energy that Zappos brought to the city? Yeah, so the, well, the Fremont Street has been here for, for many, many years. I'm older, so if you remember the TV show Vegas, Robert Urich, he was driving down. That was Fremont Street in that, in that entry. But that is where the big canopy is now. For some of your, your listeners, it would be the, the large canopy downtown, the Golden Nugget, the Circa, those make up the Fremont Street. One block over is Zappos, and that's that's downtown. And that's kind of really brought the tech scene and really energized the downtown area, not only with the gaming components, but more of this entrepreneurial spirit and ways to find new businesses for Las Vegas to get into. So you are the chief innovation officer. I always want to say chief information officer. The chief innovation officer of the city of Las Vegas. What What is a chief innovation officer? So you are correct. I'm the chief innovation, but I'm also the chief technology officer. I kind of wear, so I am the CIO in a, in, in a way as well, I wear multiple hats. The job, you know, one, it's, it's working in a fabulous city with great leadership and, and the ability to do great things. But really what I do is I do two things. One, I run the operational IT for the, the city as itself. So the standard things that a CIO would do on the technology side running the desktops and, and mobile phones and communications and those type of things. And then on the innovation side, we're working on those next generation projects, those things that are going to change the community, that are going to bring new opportunity. And that could be anything from in, in 2017, we had an autonomous vehicle running up and down the street on East Fremont. Over 40,000 people got to partake in that environment. We've done other projects where we're doing vehicle to infrastructure communication. So we have something called autonomous taxis, which is currently being operated by several vendors here in Southern Nevada testing those. But our street signalized infrastructure actually communicates to those vehicles, tells them when the light's going to change from green to red. So we get to do things like that. We've also done some things with computer vision, monitoring the safety of our parks. So a very wide variety of things that are we would consider innovative and new that are really either helping the community with efficiency or providing new opportunities. And one of the great things about doing all these innovation projects is that we get to meet a lot of great companies. They get to come to Las Vegas and see Las Vegas not just as a place for entertainment and hospitality, but they get to see it as a great place for possibly relocating their business or just doing business in the city of Las Vegas. Yeah. And so when you look at the kinds of technologies. I mean, there's a there's a reason to bring technology in general because it helps stimulate 
entrepreneurialism and job growth and all those sorts of things. But when you look at like bringing specific types of technology to a city, how, how do you evaluate, how do you look at what kinds of technologies you think will have the biggest impact on the city and what impacts are you hoping to achieve? So we generally, we have a template of, of areas that we look to try to foster these technologies that are going to help in these key areas. And the key areas are public safety, always on the minds of everyone. We all tend to live where we feel good about our environment. So public safety is one. Health is another one. If there's things we can do to help improve the health of our of people that are here within our town. And we look at tourism. When people think tourism, well, you're not really, you're talking just about people who live in Vegas. No, when you're a tourist, you are living here. So you become mm-hmm. a resident. You are maybe a short-term resident, but you're still a resident. And every time someone comes here, it's an opportunity to sell them on, maybe you want to live here. And so, again, that's why we kind of look at these broad spectrums. So public safety, health, we all know about transportation. Anything we can do to make getting from point A to B simpler, easier, those type of, of opportunities. Something that's going to help with the creation of jobs or economic development, another area that we see. Education, a lot of the things we've dived in has been either workforce. When we say education, we're not talking just K through 12 or, or grade school. We're talking everything from beginning of school through college, through you're in your 30s and you want to retool. So education and then sustainability. What can we do? We live in the desert with Desert Oasis. And so what can we do to conserve electricity, conserve water? Obviously, has been big in the news lately. So any of the technologies and things that we do generally fall into one of those six categories. I would love to walk through each of those and get some of your thoughts on that. So the first one you mentioned was public safety. What kinds of technologies are you looking to bring to Las Vegas to help with public safety? You know, it's a lot of people are looking for always the fancy, flashy, big, big things. A lot of times it's, it's just small things that can make a huge difference. But one of the things we've been working on is our Smart Parks Initiative, where we're using cameras and LIDAR. So a lot of times we try to avoid cameras because you don't need necessarily that to, to score a good outcome. So we use LIDAR. So if you're in a park after hours when the park is closed, obviously if it's closed, you know, we don't want people in there if it's after hours. And, and so how do we manage that? And so we use LIDAR that tells us if someone's in the park or not. And that way we can send an officer only when it's necessary. Don't have to do random patrols because there's there's no need. If no one's there, then there's no need to send anyone there to check. So we do things like that, remote door locking. So again, we can save staff time and put resources where we need them. Instead of having an officer go out and lock the bathrooms at the end of a shift, we can do this remote locking and, and put that officer where they're needed. Obviously, cameras do play some part of our security strategy. But we use them in an analytical way where we can count the number of people at the park during the day to see if there's things we could do to improve people's using of the facilities and what facilities they do use. And then at night, we use them. If you're there, not supposed to be, we have an opportunity to see that and and either send someone out there or maybe you're just walking your dog through and don't know the park's closed and we don't send anybody out. So it gives us some capability, some eyes and ears. We're also using drones, another opportunity to use technology to be able to survey a park at night, looking for trash, looking for graffiti, all types of things. I mean, generally, how does a city find out that a park is in need of repair? Well, we get a phone call or we get somebody who's unhappy about the service or about the looks. And so, you know, like any business or governmental agency, you want to be proactive. And so using these type of technologies helps us to become proactive 
not just in a way of of trying to prevent crime, but in a way of making the facilities and the amenities enjoyable by all that want to use them. Yeah, those are, those are great examples. How about health? You mentioned health as one of your top initiatives. So health is something that we've been trying to do. It's not traditionally something the government, you know, at a, at a municipal level really dives in hard. But we've been, during a pandemic, we, we found a need of, of just being able to have connectivity. We all know about the education connectivity issue where school kids weren't able to connect to their school. They didn't have internet at home, made it very difficult. Well, that same issue is some for our senior population as well that don't have connectivity or think of an, a senior assisted living facility. You know, how do they see a doctor? Well, they have to go in these little shuttle buses, which adds to traffic, get down to the hospital. And so we thought, what if we had a private network that was able to provide connectivity in a secure platform that would allow them to connect? One, it would less buses and less traffic on the road. And if we could help in spurring some telemedicine options. So our, our options in there are working with different facilities and being able to provide remote connectivity so that we can do some telemedicine, which we thought was, was something that we could provide. We we're also looking at using our private wireless network to be able to provide people that necessarily don't have a home right now that have been displaced or need medical attention and ability to do maybe a call in or a a FaceTime type medical appointment, and we would provide the the data. The when you think about it, think of it as a cell phone. We provide the connectivity to allow them to connect to the hospital or to a doctor that is able to treat them or see them. So it's still something that we're it's 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 in its infancy, but we have the network and we have the. It's more about now how do we how do we make it all work and functionlessly, and how do we get all the different players lined up. But there's a lot of opportunity there to not only reduce traffic flow, but improve the outcomes of those that live here. Yeah, and I, I remember reading about your the private LTE network that you had installed in some remarkable amount, like short amount of time, like 45 days. And I imagine that was that was driven a lot by the, the sort of, you know, the digital divide issue with the school children needing to, to be able to access the curriculum while they're at home. How did that network come about? And what are your what's your vision for where you take that? So it did come about. So during the pandemic, there was a challenge. There was a large percentage of individuals that did not have access. These are school-age children, first grade up and through sixth, seventh, and eighth. So high school as well, that did not have access to the internet at home. And a lot of people were like, well, they just walk over to a McDonald's or go to a Starbucks or go to the library. Well, one of the problems is the library closes and it's not open on Sunday. So how are these individuals going to be productive members and be able to learn and grow with the community? And so we were looking at different options and we had a very short time frame. And, and luckily, our state partners at the state of Nevada, we proposed an idea that, hey, we could put up a cellular network. They're like, OK, well, if you think you can do it, you have about 45 days to get it done and we'll help you fund it. And so we said, sure, we it's all about understanding risk and and understanding the benefit to the community and what was at stake. And so we put this network together. But what we really did that was kind of amazing, and the only way we were able to do it in 45 days, is we used existing city infrastructure and facilities. So we put our transmission sites at fire stations, at community centers, and which happened to work perfectly. Fire stations are spaced out for convenience so that the firefighters can get to your home. So our community centers. 
And so we were able to put this network together, this cellular network, and able to put it together in 45 days and actually had students up and running within that window. That's amazing. And it, it, it was great. I mean, yeah, I mean, the speeds were not a gig. You know, we're talking they were uh, maybe anywhere between 50 to 25 megs. But for to accomplish Do a Google school, Doc or, you know, whatever, yeah. that's fine. Yes. For school. And the great thing is, is that we, the city, weren't really providing internet. What we were doing is we were providing a bridge. I call it a handshake. The student would have a modem in their home. That modem would ride on our private cellular network. Based on what school they went to, we would then switch it from our network to the school district. So they would be getting whatever they got in their classroom. So if your classroom didn't have internet and you just had Google Docs or Google accessories, that's all you would get. So you got exactly so the same the controls the teachers and the administrators have at the school. That's really clever. Seamless. It's, it was seamless. And so it was a great start. You know, where we've gone, we, we've kind of learned from that and, and we're growing it. We made an announcement last week at a convention here, Mobile World Congress, where we're going to expand that network out. There's a huge opportunity for college students as well. So you'd be able to pass right through into our local colleges, community college and or university. And we're working on some other ways that if you're a student from out of town, but your school participates in this school-wide sharing network, we'll be able to connect you to that as well. So a lot of that is just to be able to help the community. It's not a replacement. We're not providing internet service per se, but it's a way to really connect those that need the connectivity to school. And for some, They like it because they can separate. They don't have a lot of bandwidth at home. They might have four or five people, so and they pay for internet. But this lets their children be on one while they don't have to worry about them. They know it's on the school's network, and so it's safe while they use their other network for streaming TVs. Because you can't, you know, one of the issues we had when we first launched this network is people were trying to hook up their TVs and Xboxes (laughs) to it, and they didn't work because they didn't understand the whole what the network was really doing. They just heard it's providing internet, so. But it's a great educational resource. Like we said, we're expanding it, and we see a lot of value in doing that. Long term, you know, I think we'll find a way to have the private community, the private side of business, kind of fill in those gaps for us. But for now, we also use that same platform. We're very lucky is that once you have your own cellular network, you're able to add air quality sensors that we don't have to, you know, there's no recurring monthly fee like with a major carrier. You pay every month. I mean, all of us that have a cell phone know we pay every month. So when you operate your own network, obviously your fees, there are monthly fees you pay, but nowhere near what we would pay if we went with a commercial carrier. So, and they're becoming more popular. I mean, they're really, we kind of started something for something special as far as municipal governments. Now many are, are moving down this pathway. Yeah, that's amazing. So one of the other things you talked about was transportation. And earlier in, in the conversation, you mentioned the autonomous car, the self-driving taxis, the coordinated streetlights. Like, wh- what else is, is going on? Look, we want to be a leader. It's the future. And those cities and those municipalities that work on figuring out what is going to be demanded or needed in the future, I think, have a better opportunity. So for us, it's more of a uh, making that push into these into these areas. I mean, drones are coming on fast. I mean, I know we see a lot of paper, newspaper articles or internet articles about drones, but they're here now, they're testing. And so we're looking forward to working with some of those companies and, and coming up with rules. And, Do you and mean like the air taxis or like a drone for surveillance? Do you mean literally the, the ones that carry people in packages? 
I'm talking people and packages and food. Obviously, I haven't missed too many meals. Your viewers can't see me. But, you know, food delivery is something I think we'll see in the next two to three years and limited and starting to roll out in limited areas. A lot of that is how do you manage that? You know, it's easy. We all know how to manage the roadways. We've been doing it for years. Red lights, traffic signals. Now we're talking George Jetson-ish. You know, you're talking floating vehicles, drones, moving and delivering. How do we ensure that we have a system where they're not running into each other and and how are they going to operate and how are they going to operate in a neighborhood? Lots of challenges with all of that. But I, I, th- I do see that. I also see small autonomous vehicles delivering food, medicine. We're talking smaller, like a, a very, I think you've probably seen, there's a couple of companies that make them. You might've seen them. They look like a little ice cooler. They kind of roam, roam on yeah. the, the sidewalk and yeah. Yes. Kind of roam on the sidewalk, look like a cooler with four wheels on them. They're, they're, yeah. they're ranged in sizes. We've been testing some of those as well. All of those systems need connectivity. They need guidance systems. They need to understand roadway. They need to understand sidewalks and all types of data. We're working on that. We've been working with some private companies as well. E-charging stations is becoming a bigger need for where they're placed and how people know that they're there. We're all very familiar with gas stations today. I mean, big signs on the roadway as you drive by. But a lot of the EV stations, obviously Tesla has it pretty nailed down pretty well for their customer base, but you have all the other automakers, which really don't have that same infrastructure. And so how are they going to find charging stations? So we're working with some ideas on technology around that. You know, transportation, there's there's just a, um, we're getting ready to launch, I believe next year, an autonomous shuttle in our medical district, which is one of the largest hospitals in the U.S. I think it's eighth largest university medical center. And so it's, we're going to have a shuttle moving you around between the campus and some of the, the preliminary uh, offices. So, again, transportation and, and the technologies, again, the things that get me excited are, are the fun things, the air taxis. I'm not sure when we'll see those. We've seen them at CES. So if you haven't been to CES, they're always at CES. Have you, have you ridden in one yet? When do you get to ride in one? I don't know. I've sat in one, but I haven't been able to get anybody to, to give me a ride in one. They, they look amazing. If you can just picture it, think of those large drones, uh, the small drones you've seen with the, that's what they look like. A little, except there's a little bubble where you uh, sit in. Some of them are, are one seater. I've sat in a, in a four seater. I felt pretty comfortable that inside. very you know? George Jetson. That is really it is fun. <laughs> very George Jetson. But you know, it's coming. It's coming. And, and I think, you know, We'll see vertical takeoff and landing areas starting to be talked about. Um, I'm not sure when they're going to be permitted, but I'm looking forward to the day where I can, you know, fly into Las Vegas and hop on an air taxi and get dropped off right at the hotel. Be very interesting. Now, now all these things that you, you, you're attracting to your city and bringing to your city, when I think of, of bringing new things to a city, I think of red tape. I think of like the line at the permit office and all these things. And I imagine that you've done some things that that make it Las Vegas more attractive because there's lots of cities that do, aren't anywhere near the level of innovation you have. What, how, do you, how do you approach that and how, what kinds of things are you doing to make it easier for companies to bring technology to Las Vegas? I just think it's really in Nevada's and Las Vegas's DNA. I mean, look, we have Elon Musk has the boring company. So we've already <laughs> have it. It's up and operational. That's in Clark County under the convention center. But you can now go from all the different convention halls on a inside a tunnel underneath Las Vegas in a Tesla. And actually now, I think in the last three weeks, now we have Resorts World is hooked up to it as well. And you're talking going from there to the win and then coming downtown and eventually going to the, they, they predict that by the Super Bowl, which is 
not this year for Las Vegas, but the following year in 2024, we're going to have a complete shuttle system where you'll be able to go underground. And and a lot of that's just, I think, it's the Vegas, you know, how many places in the world have a volcano that they've constructed, you know, downtown, you know, on, on property <laughs> or, or done some of the things that we do here. I mean, we did test autonomous vehicles first. I, th- I really think it's, it's Las Vegas is innovative in nature. We always think of innovative in entertainment, entertainment, hospitality. But Las Vegas is also becoming very innovative on the technology side and really working towards diversifying its economy and attracting these new types of of technologies. And so from everything from underground to above ground, you're going to see those things here. And it really is a testament to the community of people that live here as well as the the people that are in 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 charge. But as you said, you know, these things, there's a lot of moving parts and and I won't call it red tape, but there's a lot of policies and procedures that have to go through. But we're able to negotiate those here when we need to. Yeah, that's that's really great. And it's like like that gets like. When you think of like what's made Silicon Valley what it is, it's been a combination of these entrepreneurs, the venture capitalists that fuel it, the schools that that produce the 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 scientists and engineers that can develop these new technologies, and you get this this flywheel going. And it seems like you're starting to get a flywheel going in Las Vegas. Now you mentioned economic development and jobs. So how how are you how does that all fit into this this technology paradigm of yours? Sure. So I mean one of the things we noticed several years ago was we have the best and brightest every year coming to CES. They come here for a week and they take all that knowledge and excitement with them and it leaves. I, th- and, I thought what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Well, I'd like it to. I'd like the technology <laughs> thing to stay. Um, and what we thought about was, hey, these companies come here every year and pitch their products and people from around the world come to see them. Why aren't we talking to them about setting up innovation centers here and, and showing their their technologies all year around? And that would help us kind of built we're not we're not going to be silicon valley overnight you know we'll never there's only one silicon valley i know every city talks about being one but you know we want to diversify and how do we make ourselves more attractive and it started with really that that real simple idea of see everybody loves coming here for ces not only that we have more technology conventions amazon's here microsoft's here cisco comes here um we just had CrowdStrike, FalconCon was just yeah, Mobile here. World Congress. Mobile I mean, World Congress yeah. was last week. So, you know, why would we not have these companies doing more? And, and the, the vision is setting up innovation centers, which they're doing, a lot of them. We have like five or six different companies now with innovation centers here. And the next step will be is, why don't you use some of our area? We have an innovation district in downtown Las Vegas, which is set up for- What is that? Tech- what is an innovation district? So the innovation district allows us to test out new technology, cut some of the red tape, as you mentioned earlier, where we're able to help these companies and expedite them to come in and test some of their newest technology. It could be anywhere from an autonomous vehicle, could be a digital sign, could be a one camera, even a camera, you know, anything that's kind of innovative and new or something that's not, we don't have in our portfolio. We allow these companies to come in and test it. And when we allow them to test it, we allow them to leave it up and bring customers in to see it. And for us, it allows this innovation district, allows us to be like a, a showcase all year around. And these companies yeah. love it. These companies love it. They love to come here and, and put their technology in. And then they get to show it to all their customers. And, and they, they don't seem to have a hard time getting their customers to want to come here for a day or two. And so it works out for us. We get to see the technology. We get to work with these companies very closely. And these are all large and small companies. 
and we get to work with them and then we get to help them hopefully grow their business and we get the benefit of having those jobs here. So, and we've had companies from Israel, from Australia, Japan, all of them come out here and establish projects and some have had great success. Others, you know, we went to go back and rework a little bit, but again, for us, it's, you know, it's all about creating those new opportunities, creating those collisions that between our community and business that hopefully leads to some really great things in the future. Yeah, that's that's exciting. It's a great way to stimulate innovation. So you also mentioned education as being one of the pillars of, of how you view your role. Tell me about that, how that fits into the picture. Well, I mean, I'm going to go back to even what you said. Look, Silicon Valley has some great things that make it very special. One thing is they have that great flywheel, but they have that process of they have great schools in that area that, that churn out great talent. I know a lot of my friends, they trade jobs, but they all stay within Silicon Valley. They're moving around to different companies, but they keep all that talent local. They develop it there. They keep it local. And it becomes more educated and trained as they go from employer to employer. They're learning new things. They're expanding. So we want to kind of, you know, what do we need to do? And obviously, Las Vegas recognizes that education is extremely important. And we want to build on that. And so from a technology perspective, you know, obviously, we, we're not the school district. We support them and, and their needs. But if there's things we're doing in the innovation space that can help students, that's what we're doing. We're coming up right now. We're getting ready to launch a 3D Maker Center. So for your audience, what is a 3D Maker Center? Well, one of the things is we all know small business makes up the majority of business across the United States. Yeah. So how do companies prototype? How If they want to build something, where do they go to prototype things? Either they have to go buy an expensive 3D printer on their own, try to figure out how to use it, or go to some other company to create a prototype. But what we've done is we've created a maker center where we have these tools available, where we provide training and and education. So you have that great idea to make a new product. You come on down, you work with our people, we help you 3D print a model of it. That helps you go get your venture funding or helps you sell your idea and concept maybe find an investor, and that keeps those people here. So we're trying to make this support system that supports, from an education standpoint, not just the, the, the general grade school, but providing services around that, that support business, that help people also transition. If you think of Las Vegas, you can easily see when you're here how many jobs are service jobs and how many of those jobs in the future might be disrupted. Yeah. During the pandemic, you used to go to a front desk to check into a hotel. So you needed a lot of people at the front desk. I've been all over. And I mean, you know, there's several hotel chains now that you get your, your room key on your phone. You don't even need to check into the front desk anymore. So what are we doing to help our community prepare for that? And some of that is coming up with these new education things to help be prepared. Maybe it's becoming a robot service technician. Maybe it's going to be, you know, some other technology-based skill. But if we don't provide the, the ground funding and, and some of the opportunities for that, we'll lose these people that will go, they'll leave our city and go to another city that, that has opportunity for them. So really, it's how do we help entrepreneurs, provide them tools and services and educate them. You know, Las Vegas is one of the malware capitals of the world. This is where what comes here stays here. You know, people from all over the world bring their laptops and they bring their viruses and everything else with them. So part of that education process is also teaching our community about cybersecurity awareness. We do so much to teach people about crime in general, but we don't give them enough knowledge to arm them and what they're more, they're probably spending 50% of their day on, which is their mobile phone. And so what are we doing? So when we talk about education, it's not just school education and our wireless networks and things like that. 
It's also grassroots efforts and, and working with the community on being cyber aware. People lose money every day to phone scams, email scams, and that, that hurts business. It hurts the economy. So I'm giving you a lot of information here. Did, man. You, just, did you just claim that Las Vegas is the malware capital of the world? We're up. We're in the top. We're in the top. How's There's that measured? Super. Like, what is it? What is a malware? Ma- yeah, what is the list of malware? I have to go, I'm going to have to go pull. If you Google search it, you will find okay. it. They did not do one during the pandemic. So maybe we're lower on the list now. But every if you Google search malware, Las Vegas is, I think, in the top five, definitely in top 10. And it's a combination, I think, of reported incidences and, and a bunch of data that they acquire from some of these, we'll call them, you know, security companies in general. So, you know, I do need to go figure out where that all the data comes from. <laughs> but the point of the matter is, is that we do, because we have such a, a large amount of people coming in and out of the community, yeah. you know, cybersecurity in general, especially the phishing scams, we're more concerned about how do we educate our small businesses? Because that could, that could break a business. You could have a great business, good small business going and get caught up in sending $50,000 to you think is a tax liability or payroll system and you're scammed out of that money. And, and there's really no way, very hard to get help to fix those things. So if we can educate our businesses, we want to work on that as well as the community. And it's just providing more ways to get people involved in, in providing new opportunity because this this is a fact. The service industries that we all know throughout the U.S. are going to be disrupted with technology. I've seen robot waiters in almost every town I've been yeah. to now since the pandemic. Hotels are everywhere in front desk staff, less of them as you start doing keyless entry on your phone. And so parking meters are all electronic now. There's no person. And so there's, there's a lot of these technologies that are going to disrupt. And so how do we prepare and how do we provide new pathways for learning? Yeah, that's great. And then and then the last thing you mentioned was sustainability, which I imagine applies at many different levels, water probably being a very important one being in the desert. But tell me tell me a little bit about how you think about sustainability and how technology is going to factor into that. Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of what we're doing right now in sustainability is just putting out we have air quality sensors, we have other sensors where we're starting to build a benchmark. We're also doing that on, you know, how can we provide shade? I mean, some of the sustainability is just planting trees. Mm. That's not in my purview, but from a city perspective, planting trees, trying to, to remove that, what we call asphalt surface that attracts the heat all day and then lets it off all night, keeps the ground warm. So things that we can do to help in that regard. We talked earlier about how do we lower traffic congestion, remote medicine, telemedicine, providing connectivity so students don't have to drive to school every day. If there's no, if they seem to use library resources, use the internet, keep vehicles off the road, whether it's an Uber or your own car or, or a bus, try to lower traffic. The more cars we can keep off and things you can do without being there, obviously it makes our roadways more attractive, less time on the road, leads to less greenhouse and carbon emissions throughout the community. You nailed it on water. You know, there's a lot of things we can do in water conservation. Part of that is just knowing when our sprinklers are on or off. We all have timers at home. Those are great. But now with the connection of internet and those type, we can monitor that. And we can have sensors in the ground that tell us if we don't need the water, if it needs fertilizer, when. So there's a lot more data now. Everything's about data. Everything we've talked about today, there's a data component around it. And it's really using these systems to capture the data understand it, and then try to adjust or, or provide solutions that help or meet the need of the community. But look, sustainability, we live in the desert. 
it's not natural to have all this development and, and growth here. And so whatever we can do from removing real turf and putting in artificial grass, but just using technology to help us manage our water is a huge advancement and opportunity for us. And I think, you know, over the next two to three years, we'll be able to drop our water usage substantially just by using technology. One of the ways that you and I have gotten to know each other was through the other hat I wear, which is a part of the Open Grid Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization. And we recently did a partnership with the the city of Las Vegas and the Innovation Zone. Can you help my audience understand why bringing these new grid technologies to a city like Las Vegas is, is important to you? I mean, it's the future, man. I mean, come on. It's going to be – so all the great things we talked about all rely on on connectivity and speed of processing information and getting information to where it needs to be. And in a traditional sense, the cloud is great. I'm not knocking the cloud. It, it is a lot of potential. And it's over the last you know seven to 10 years, it, it's been a huge advancement. But it would be foolish for all of us to think that's where it stops. A lot of these systems that need the drones that are flying, the autonomous vehicles are going to need that, what's called, we call edge compute or that right. capability of having compute on the edge. And I like to call it like I see it. And and I really see compute being spread amongst a grid, almost as 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 you see, you think about a, a lined grid piece of paper where you're going to need compute everywhere. You're going to do some on your mobile device, but you're going to need to offload some of these calculations and some of the things you're going to need. You're going to need to offload it. And going to the cloud just isn't going to work. So you're going to have these, I call them nodes, but edge devices where they're going to be almost like in the old days with copper, you'd have, you'd all see these little pedestals all over where all the lines in your neighborhood would come together, whether it be for telephone or for cable, you're going to have kind of this same connection, but it's going to be a computing center. It's going to have capabilities to process. In the old days, nothing was processed. It was just passed down the line. What we're looking at now is being able, and it really provides a whole new opportunity for new business, for new ideas to really work, for drone delivery to really to take shape, for autonomous vehicles to really work, to have intelligence in our roadways and in our communities, the grid really is is where it's going to happen. And, and it's going to be game-changing for communities. I mean, I've gotten a ton since we've made the announcement, a ton of inquiries about everything from medicine to gaming, to law enforcement, everybody can start understanding, especially in the tech world, can start understanding what that means by having a really decentralized platform where I can store even city services, not far away in the cloud, but in this kind of fog or edge or node compute structure where I'm able to do things and then replicate it wherever I might need to. So you know, there's a lot of just a lot of capabilities there that I think we're only beginning to really understand and really know where it's going to go. I, I just see from a connectivity perspective to a content perspective to changing our daily lives. This is this next three to four years with this type of computing being rolled out is going to be groundbreaking. It's interesting you compare it to the cloud, but actually the cloud is part of the grid. It, it needs it to evolve. It needs to not just exist in these large centralized data centers. It needs to become part of this distributed fabric. But the cloud, certainly the cloud providers, the Amazons yes. and Microsofts and Googles of the world, understand that. And it's going to be a really interesting world. You know, It's almost like every fiber intersection point is going to have a little data center on it. And it's going to provide services to your neighborhood or that neighborhood. And that's a very different world than we've lived before. You're right. We think of those little telephone switching boxes that are everywhere. Yes. And now 
now they're going to be little data centers. <laughs> data centers. Yeah. yeah, that's why sometimes I call it fog computing, but I don't think that gives it a good representation either. The cloud kind of stretching out. But I do try to make the connotation that the cloud's never going anywhere. It's, this is just another puzzle piece that provides more capability than we've had before. And I think it really opens, like the cloud opened the doors, you know, several years ago. This next door that's opening is really starting to get us to the point of people start thinking about the Jetsons and, and start thinking about the Matrix and some of the, the technology that you see in those movies and, and some of that. You start seeing the underpinnings of some of that now actually it's possible now, where before, if you were in technology, wasn't really possible. And we all knew about latency and the inability of certain the cloud to do everything. Now, with the edge and these nodes, you know, as much as we see red and green light signal poles everywhere, you're going to see data centers everywhere. You're just not going to really know they're there. They're just going to be woven into the fabric. And it's a huge market of opportunity. Yeah. That, that's cool. One of the things that, that, that has fascinated me about cities, and it's only in, I don't know, as, as an adult that I've really thought of it this way, is like their businesses in a sense. I mean, they're, they're systems that are processing inputs and outputs and producing services and goods for their, for their constituents, but they also compete with each other. Like you said earlier in the call, like you want more businesses to come to Las Vegas. Well, that means they're making a decision to go to Las Vegas instead of somewhere else, presumably, and residents the same way. So how, how so first of all, who's your biggest rival? <laughs> well, it's going to be California in general. Yeah. You know, then on, on where everybody's competing for the exodus from California. So I, I would say our rivals are Phoenix, Austin, Salt Lake City, obviously Denver, another area. It's kind of the, I would say, the, the flattening of Silicon Valley. You kind of see it was all all kind of bent up there, kind of like a volcano. It exploded, and we're trying to catch some of the lava as it, as it flows out. <laughs> maybe maybe and, it'll just become a grid, too. It'll just, yeah, and, you know. <laughs> and I, I really think with the pandemic really accelerating things, I think you've seen a, a flattening or an extension of Silicon Valley kind of explode out from that epicenter. And a lot of these other cities, Austin, Phoenix, and certainly Salt Lake, and, and have all been doing a great job in attracting people to go there. And we're doing the same thing. I mean, we want to, it to the point, people live where there's good schools, there's safety, and there's technology. I mean, I talk to a lot of people now, and, and, and when I recently bought a home, I checked to make sure that I had internet that was capable <laughs> of what I expected. And yeah. I wouldn't buy, I mean, literally, I would not buy a home in an area that didn't have the connectivity I need. I mean, one, it's my profession, and so I need it. But it's the way that we interact. And <laughs> I so, have kids and, and we need yeah. it, even if it wasn't my profession. Yes. Oh, no, it's true. I need one just for my son's Xbox traffic. But the bottom line is you nailed it. I, I do look at cities as, as being competitive. We are in a business of capturing taxpayers. You know, we need you to live here in order to pay your property tax and, and contribute. And a lot of that is not just the property tax. If you come here, you might start a business here. You might do other things here that help the economy. And so that that whole opportunity of, of getting people to realize Las Vegas is more than one street and that there's a whole bunch of opportunity here. And that's really what we're after is, is showcasing and demonstrating how great it is. And it's great when we open up that innovation district, bringing things like the Open Grid Alliance and launching it here, having that option. When you when you think of Las Vegas, you don't think, hopefully in the next year or so, people will think about the grid and, and being in Las Vegas. And the grid will stretch across. But 
But the nice thing is, is that we have those technologies here first. We're kind of doing these things that we hope leads to bringing other businesses here and other use cases and really growing our economy. So if you were to look out on the landscape of the, you know, sort of those other cities that you say are competing for these, this exodus from California, what, what makes Las Vegas stand apart? Like what are like the top three or four reasons that someone should choose Las Vegas over some, some other choice they might have? Sure. What, what- Number one is going to be the diversity of the community here. We have a great workforce, well, very hardworking. We are a 24-hour city. Not every city is able to have the type of people that are willing to work all hours of the day and night. So we have Manhattan that. and Las Vegas, right? Yeah, that's that's really it. And so, and I'll tell you this: you could afford anything. You can't afford an apartment in Manhattan. You can easily get something here. And so we have that. The, the community number one. Number two is our innovative spirit here. Look, people are doing things here that other states and other municipalities won't allow or are hesitant to allow. We always look. The city's built on risk. We know how to operate and manage risk. So it's a great place. Your business card's a poker chip. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's a great place to be able to have no state income tax. So your money goes farther here. You know, you're able to have more disposable income here than in other cities. So we're very friendly, business-friendly mindset, I would say, more than most others throughout the region. We have a great university system here as well as airports or infrastructure. You can almost be anywhere in Las Vegas and get to the airport within 20 to 30 minutes I can say, I won't name where I was from, but in, in Orange County, I couldn't get to LAX in half yeah. a day, let yeah, alone you know, 30 minutes. So I could, 30 minutes, I couldn't even get out of my own city in 30 minutes. So, you know, we have a, a great infrastructure. And so, I, and I think you have a real spirit here. We have CES. So if you're on the technology side, we have great convention and great hospitality. I mean, come on, some of the best restaurants the world has. Same thing with entertainment. So we have a wide variety and then great state parks and a lot of them. People don't realize we have Red Rock, you have Valley of Fire. There are so many things close by Colorado River and Grand Canyon. It's just a short skip and short. a jump yeah. over the border there to one of our friends. So we want you to live here, go visit, but stay here. I think overarching is the community and the ability to get things done. And you see that the boring company, we've talked about them. We have a monorail here. We have the boring company. We have some of the largest buildings in the Western Hemisphere here from a hotel and, and convention perspective. It's just a great place. And I think the, the people make it what it is. Technology, secondary, but that's, that's really what it is. Well, and honestly, it's fun. Like It's fun it to be is. around these entrepreneurs. It's fun to be around new technology. It's fun to be around great restaurants and lots of new people coming in and lots of new ideas coming in. So I, I, I get it. I mean, it really makes Las Vegas super competitive. And, you know, certainly growing up, I thought of it as a place that you visit as opposed to a place to live. But now I, I have, you know, a small handful of friends that have staked out the rest of their lives potentially in in Las Vegas. So I, I felt the same way. I felt the same way. Being from California, you know, it was a great place. I came here in the summer to party and visit and and then go home. And now it's where I call home. And I love it here. There's just so many great things about the community and about the city that make it a, a great place to be. Yeah, that's that's neat. Okay, so so the final final question here. So so part of what you need to do is you need to look out into the future. And so if you were to think of like all the things that are happening that need to happen to bring your vision of the smart city to Las Vegas, to, into reality, and you could, you could push one of those dominoes, you could give it a nudge, make it work faster. Can you think of one that you would like, what, one, one thing you would like make happen more quickly to, to make everything else happen? I'd love to see more connectivity to the homes 
directly. Hmm. I think we're moving in that direction already. Fiber's coming in. We've got several companies looking at doing fiber to the homes out here. But it's that whole, we're already on the way. We talked about the grid a little bit, but extending that because that capabilities, the capabilities of the future is going to be content or data driven where you're pushing data out into the community itself. Most businesses already have good internet connectivity. So the next part of it is, is how do you marry that all together? And how do you, what do those drones need? You're going to have 6G and 7G and they're going to all need strong infrastructures. And then you need that last mile. So I, I, that last mile might be wireless, might be a combination of wireless and fiber. But you start looking at your home and I'm looking at it from a future state. So a lot of us already, our washers and dryers need to be connected. I mean, my new washer and dryer came with a QR code to download an app for it. Your refrigerator, all these things we think about in the future are going to require connectivity. And so right now, the, the best connectivity is, is a solid underpinning of fiber and, and wireless. And so if I could push a button, I push that connectivity Connectivity, button. okay. Connectivity as a whole. And I push the button for, for building out the infrastructure, the technology, we call them mini data, whatever we want to call them. But the capability of having that edge, edge compute capabilities for small local business, for big business, for companies to be able to have, when you build a great foundation, many great things can be built on top of it. And that's, when you talk about connectivity, I'm talking about building that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the same way that you said you wouldn't buy a house that didn't have great connectivity, there's probably a future state where you won't occupy a building as a business unless it has access to the grid. And so there's this right. whole because, you know, I think one of the things that really surprised me in in my journey to, to where we are today through edge computing into the grid is that most companies have computers stuck on their premises that they want to get rid of. Like, I don't want a data center in my factory. I don't want a data center in my basement. I want to get rid of that. I want to buy it like I buy my SaaS products, my Salesforce and my SAP and all these things, but I can't. And so once there's infrastructure in place where businesses can consume all these capabilities they that they have to spend money on computers and people to maintain them and things, but they, now they can just order it from the infrastructure, I think that's going to be super game-changing. That's going to be huge. It's going to be, imagine what you can do with that. And imagine the abilities to, the agility that it will create for business, the ability to ramp up quickly, the ability to really harness power and technology you didn't have before. I know you know I've talked about things, but I mean, even for government, we have the ability to lease services and systems that we could never stand up on our own or operate on our own. And a grid environment allows us to tap into that collaborative almost and rent it or use it and then change to something else if we need to. And so lots of flexibility, lots of capabilities. It's going to really change, I believe, the way business and the way cities operate and, and work. It's amazing. And, and like I said, it all starts with a solid foundation and, and having great partners and having great technology is just as important to me. I think is, it should be important to everybody as roadways are today and, and having water and power at your home. Connectivity should be right inside with, with anything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Hey, Michael, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and to, to have this conversation with you. I really appreciate you. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. It's awesome. And if I could say, we love having people come out to Vegas. So have your listeners come on out. I'll do a, a, I'll do a live, I'll here. do a live show sometime soon. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. 
Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.